open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Remain standing for just a few more moments. And also you can turn it over to 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. Just keep a side note there. It's great to have Pastor Daryl with us this morning. All the way from Manila, the Philippines. He shared with us last week and he'll be sharing with us. Speaking with us actually in just a couple of weeks. So in Invite your friends, invite your family out, all the way from the Philippines. The Philippines. Right now, the, the Asian community is on highlight right now within the NBA basketball because of Jeremy Lin. I don't know if you know who he is, um, but if you're not familiar with him, he's a young man that just seemingly came out of nowhere, and now he is just, uh, his last name is Lin, so they're calling him all he does is Lin. That's all he does. He just wins. That's all he does. He just keeps winning and winning and winning. And uh, he loves God. That's why I mentioned him. He loves God. He loves the Lord uh, with all his heart, mind, body, and soul. He's not just a uh, person that calls himself a Christian. He actually loves God. And there's a difference with people that, that believe in God and people that love God. There's a difference. And so here this morning, as we open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 11. Follow along with me, even if you don't have your Bible, maybe stand next to somebody that does so you can read it there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Later on, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, but it says here in verse 11, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession to the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything in Christ and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot. Somebody say, without spot. And then say, or blame. Until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless. Somebody say spotless. Come on, say spotless. Then say blameless. Then it says, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all, these, in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. That's a heavy scripture right there. As they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 5. It says, and present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless but holy and blameless. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, without spots or blemish, then you may be seated. This morning, the title of my message is Victorious Living. And this is part one. Uh, I want to start a series of messages in the victorious living 
that I believe that God has for you and I. How many believe in living a life of victory? Can I hear an amen? Okay, God bless all two of you. How many believe in a life that has victorious living? Okay, that was good for half of you right there. See, Okay, see, some of you, I don't know if this is a, a congregation of Raider fans because I don't know if you really believe it. Oh, that's cold, huh? Well, then why do you talk like it? You guys talk like Niner fans, like, ah, you were almost there, but you didn't make it. No, that's how you guys talk. How many believe in victorious living? Okay, there we go. All right, now, now we got victory outreach, amen? See, I believe that as Christians, we should live a life of victory. Can I hear an amen? Now here this morning, I want to share with you about this life of victory that you deserve. See, if you are going to get the victory over anything, first there is going to be a battle. Now if there's going to be a battle, there's going to be a war. And if you're going to be in a war, there's going to be opposition. Okay, some of you didn't believe that. I want to let you know, you got haters. People don't like you. People don't, like, people don't like what you represent. They don't like the fact that you come to church on a Sunday morning. You could be doing something else on a Sunday morning. But nevertheless, you said, I want a life of victory. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, the thing about the battle is that it's already won. The Bible says that the battle is not ours, but the battle is it's the Lord's. You've already won. Now, you've already won for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you got the victory. Somebody say, I got the victory. See, now, however, a battle already won in an everyday person's mind is actually no battle at all, if you really think about it. Even though the battle is already won in Christ, yet nevertheless, each and every day, you and I are to put on the full armor. God didn't tell us to put on the full armor if you weren't supposed to fight. See, the battle is won, but nevertheless, you still got to fight. Even though we come to church, we lift our hands, hallelujah, the victory is mine, doesn't mean that you stop fighting. Does not mean that all of a sudden you put your guard down. No, my friend, you still got to fight. Can I hear an amen? Matter of fact, if you were to go up to somebody who was playing a game, any game, whether it was a video game, a, a baseball game, and you go up to them and you tell them, hey, you've already won the game, most would probably be uh, uh, confounded or, or, or bewildered at the fact that, wait a second, I'm playing a game, but I've already won. Maybe I should stop. This doesn't really make any sense. But see here, my friend, you've already won, but you got to still keep going. You've won the battle because Christ has won it for you. Can I hear an amen? See, Christ has already won this thing. He has already won the battle. He has the victory. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you have the victory. Can I hear an amen? Now, victory over what? Victory over death, hell, and the grave. In other words, we don't fear death anymore. Why? Because Christ has the victory over that. See, those who are not in Christ, they're always in fear of death. Man, I wonder, how am I going to die? What am I going to die of? Do I, do I really die? See, and all these questions really come into, and these philosophies are birthed out of these questions. 
People start making stuff up. Well, you know what? You, you don't really die. You just go and you're going to have and you're going to have 72 versions when you go up there. And, you know, people start making stuff up out of fear of death. Are you hearing me? But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we already know what I'm living right now. This is just a fraction of forever. That's all this is. I'm just passing through. I've already got the victory. Can I hear an amen? How many here, you already got the victory? Give the Lord a hand of praise this morning if you've already got the victory. See, he lives in here so that I can have the victory out here. He lives right here inside of me so that I can have the victory. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 how it talks about, for in him I have my being. I move and have my being in him. Can I hear an amen? See, in John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it to the abundance. Abundant living. In other words, victorious living. That you're not just going to have a life where you say, yeah, I won, I guess. But see, an abundant life. You, you and I, listen, I, I don't know what it is about Christians sometimes, but you ever meet some Christians that sometimes you just wonder, man, are they really a Christian? You ever met people like that? Now, I know we don't have any in this church, but every once in a while you'll meet a Christian, and when you talk to them, they're like, yeah, I got the victory, I guess. And you could tell right away, man, somebody robbed you of something, Right? Somebody probably robbed you of your dignity. Somebody probably robbed you of your integrity. Somebody probably robbed you of, of your joy, of your peace. I don't know what they robbed you of. But listen, I'm here this morning to let you know something. You've got the victory. And you are able to live a life abundantly. Not just a regular life, but an abundant life. A life worth living. A victorious life. Can I hear an amen? See, this victorious life that we are able to get here on earth. Now, as we get to uh, that end time within our life, we're going to experience that great eternal life in heaven. But before we get to heaven, we got to experience his glory here on earth, his power here on earth, his victory here on earth. See, that's the great thing I love about this church. The moment you walk into this church, it's telling you, you already won victory outreach, not defeated outreach, not you lost yesterday outreach, but victory outreach. Can I hear an Amen. Now think of this for a moment. Imagine two boxers, if you will, at each side of the ring, and the referee's in the middle, and the referee comes, and the referee gets the two boxers together, and he grabs the gloves, and he says, okay, go ahead and touch gloves, and then he grabs the boxer's gloves, and all of a sudden, he lifts one of the boxer's hands up and declares them the victor. They've won. Somebody would go up to the referee and say, wait, wait, wait. They didn't even fight yet. They didn't even go around. We didn't even hear the bell. What, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, they came up to the referee, and they asked him, why did you declare him the victor? There was no fight. And the referee says, well, I declared him the victor because I wanted to. I declared him the victor because I love him. And that's all you need to know. See, here this morning, you need to know something, that you were declared the victor because... Just because he loves you. That's it. He just loves you. He loves you that much to already declare you the victor. 
The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, you're having an abundant life through his love. He loves you. No matter what, he loves you. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, Love one another as I have loved you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. See, now here this morning, my friend, that love declares us the victor. Now I want to tell you something. There is nothing you can do to earn his love. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to earn his love. His love is unconditional. He loves you no matter what you've done or what you do at this moment. He loves you. That's it. He loves you. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. That love that Jesus has for you declares you the victor. Can I hear an amen? See, that love transcends all thoughts or action. It has a driving purpose for his humanity. But many people, I want, now this is where we're going to take a turn right here. Many people assimilate his love for his pleasure. Are you hearing me this morning? See, this is where we're going to kind of get into this victorious living. I want to tell you something. God's love and God's pleasure are not the same thing. Now, my son, I love my son. He is the cutest boy ever made. Sorry to all those of you that have kids or maybe your mama told you, you're the cutest kid ever. I have the cutest kid ever. I got three of them. That's how good I am. I made three. <laughs> got a fourth one on the way. Wow, come on. I love my children. I love them with all of my heart. I mean, my son, oh my gosh. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe he carries my name. I don't know what it is. Now, the other day, my son, he was running around and he was just jumping up and down. And I said, okay, it's time for bed. Put him upstairs, put him to bed, laid him down, walked downstairs. My wife says, he's going crazy upstairs. Tell him to go to sleep. I go upstairs and my son is jumping all over the room like he had a rock star or something. He's four years old. He has a natural rock star, right? Just natural. And I open the door and right away he sees me and he goes, he knows right away what daddy's going to do. Now I go in there and I put the discipline down because I tell him, hey, hey, hey. I love you, but I'm still going to discipline you. Now, I put him, because of my love for him, even after I discipline him, I still love him. But at that moment, I was not pleased with him. Are you hearing me this morning? See, God loves you no matter what, but some of the things you do, are you living a life that is pleasing unto him? Because there are still a few things that you may say, well, God loves me. Yes, he does, but are you living a life that is pleasing to him? Are you living a life? Are you doing things that still please God? See, there is nothing you can do to earn God's love, but are you living a life that has God's pleasure? See, here this morning, 
The Bible says that I want us to be, be able to really get this within our lives, within our being. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. You see, your love for him will not change his love for you. Your love for God will not change his love for you. He gave you the victory no matter what. Remember the referee? He lifted your hands. You're the victor. You got it. But are you living a life that is pleasing to him? Now, I want to bring out a few things here this morning that I believe that God is looking for in a victorious church or in a pleasing church. We read about it earlier that God is looking for a church that is without spot or blemish, right? So if we are going to live a life that is pleasing unto God, I believe that we need to have a few of these things within our lives that is going to make us or allow us to have a pleasing life. How many want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Okay, God bless all two of you again. How many want to live a life that is pleasing unto God? See, as we begin to live a life that is pleasing unto God, you will now begin to see what it is to be a victor within your life. No longer be a victim, but be a victor. Can I hear an amen? amen. The first thing in this part one of a, within our message, within our, our, the series that we're starting here this morning, and having a pleasing church and living a pleasing life is a pure church. Somebody say pure. Somebody say pure. Now I want to let you know something. God is not coming back for a contaminated church. God is not coming back for a sin-filled church church now I know some of you this morning probably wanted to say man I just wanted to come and be a victor I just wanted to come and be victorious and then I'll come lift my hands and then I'll leave listen I want to let you know something that as the church when we come here and we meet in this auditorium we're a congregation but you you're the church are you hearing me this morning we come and we congregate we assembly this is an assembly that's what this is but you you're the temple and God is coming back for a pure church. That the Bible says in the New Testament that we are to walk worthy of God. That's a heavy statement right there. That we are to walk worthy of God, not walk worthy of man. See, we cannot compare, or excuse me, we cannot be a people that compare ourselves to ourselves. Are you hearing me this morning? You know, as I study the scriptures... I begin to, something that really, really got me is I've lately a lot been studying a lot of the New Testament. A lot of it from Matthew to uh, John, really been focusing in on the Gospels. And as I read these stories, these stories really are like, they've really been putting a reality check or a spiritual check within my life. Because I wanted to make sure that I was not becoming a religious person. Because, you know, as you come to church, you can become religious. Did you know that? You can become religious. You can come here and say, okay, I know when to do this. I know when to lift my hands. I know when to say amen. I know how to shake people's hands. And you can become religious. And if you're not careful, you can come in here and you can be like a cheetah. In other words, you're going quickly, but you got spots all over. You got to be real careful with all that stuff. In other words, you got to be very uh, clear on what God wants you to do within your life. Live a life that is pure. As I begin to study the scriptures within the New Testament and find out about how, uh, what Christ wanted within us, a lot of the Pharisees, many a times, they began to compare themselves to others. In other words, they looked at other people and said, well, at least I am better than him. 
At least I'm not as bad as her. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I've, I've done that. I've done that. I can honestly and, and with all sincerity say I have done that before. Now, I don't think, I don't know personally, maybe I have, maybe I haven't necessarily within uh, the church here. But I can honestly say outside of this church, because as a youth leader, I remember a lot of times I would compare myself to, ooh, if I'm doing better than them, then I'm okay. If I'm doing, okay, I, I, I got a little bit more youth than them, okay, then I'm okay. And I've done that before, even myself. You start comparing yourselves to others. Okay, well, my suit's better than his suit, therefore I'm better. Oh, my dress is more expensive than her dress, therefore I'm better. See, and if you're not careful, little by little, the spots begin to come upon you. And God is coming back for a pure church. Somebody say pure. Somebody say pure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify. Somebody say purify. Say purify. Say purify. Then it says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence or fear of God. You see, we as believers, even though we've been redeemed, we must get rid of all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. It's heavy that the Bible would say flesh and spirit. Because the flesh, these are the things like you, you obviously can see. But the Bible says, even of the spirit. It says, get rid of all things. How many? How many? 90%? 92%? Some things? All things. Get rid of all things. Not the things that, well, as long as I'm doing this much good, then I can do this much bad. All things. See, I know now I know that this morning this is kind of a, a, a heavy statement to look at. He said, man, all things? I mean, but I'm okay. I'm a good person. Listen, my friend, there's going to be a lot of good people in hell. And Christ is coming back for a church, not for a good church, but for a spotless, blameless church. Are you hearing me this morning? See, it's a battle that we go through. It's a battle to fight these spots off of us. It's a battle that you and I have. And we must be able to have under our armor a spotless and blameless life. Can I hear an amen? See, if we are going to be able to live a life that is spotless, then we need to understand that we got to avoid a few things. If you are going to avoid the spots, then my friend, you got to be able to avoid the gossip. Avoid the bitterness. Avoid the unforgiveness. Avoid, you got to avoid these things. Get rid of, tell your neighbor, get rid of. You got to get rid of these outbursts of anger that you always want to have. Get rid of this bitterness that you have towards that person. See, the Bible says, Get rid of these things of the flesh and of the spirit. In other words, you've got to see unforgiveness just like you see murder. See, the problem is we look at the TV a lot of times and we say, man, I hope they catch whoever killed that guy. I hope they catch whoever does that. Listen, I pray that you look at the news and you see the bad people because a lot of news, a lot of times, all it is is just bad news. 
I pray that when you look at that and they say, man, I hope they catch that person. I pray that you would be sitting there and say, man, I hope I catch my unforgiveness. I hope I catch my bitterness. Because I want to tell you something. God looks down and he sees sin as sin. Sin is not in a category of, okay, this is the worst sin. This is the okay sin. There's a philosophy that has come into the world called a little white lie. I don't know where that came from, but I want to tell you something. A lie is a lie. Sin is a sin. You can try to make it nice with a smile. That is just a little white lie. I mean, can you imagine a murderer that you see in prison? It was just a little white killing. Like, but are you hearing me this morning? That's why the, the Bible made it very clear. Get rid of all filthiness if you want to be able to have a victorious life. Get rid of all of it. Somebody say all. Somebody say all. See, my friend, we don't avoid this sin just because we want to be in a holiness club. See, that's what the Pharisees did. They wanted to avoid sin just to be in a, in a holiness club. See, my friend, we avoid sin because we do not want to break fellowship with God. Because we don't want to hurt God and we don't want to hurt people. That's why we avoid sin. We don't avoid sin to say, hey, look, I didn't do that, therefore I am better. No, we avoid that. We get rid of that because we say, hey, this would break my fellowship with him. And I can't do that because I do not want to hurt God. I don't want to hurt my relationship with him. I like the other day how uh, we were hearing, I, I forgot exactly who had brought it out. I think it was my, uh, my mom when she was sharing here, talking about the, the faithfulness of, of a husband or a wife. If the husband and wives were around each other all the time, there would be no room for unfaithfulness. Because they're constantly around each other. See, when you begin to learn, it was the Holy Spirit, right? As you begin to learn that the Holy Spirit is always with you, you will never want to break that relationship. You'll never want to break that. Why? Because it's, it's something personal. It's something that allows you to be better. So that other stuff that begins to come into your life, you say, man, I can't do that. Why? Because I do not want to break fellowship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, this is something that God wants to do within our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. In other words, you got to diligently do it every day. Have this within your life. That you want to live a life that is pleasing unto God. Living a life that God would look down and say, wow, I can't wait till they come before me and I can tell them, well done, thy good and faithful servants. See, that is living a life that is pleasing unto God. Now, I like what it says in verse 8. Look with me here. It says, so he who rejects this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. In other words, if you're looking at me and saying, well, that's, that's Pastor Stevon talking. I want to let you know, it's not me talking. Look at it for yourself. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting what the Holy Spirit's saying. Well, he said it. No, I want you to study it for yourself. 
And these are things where God is looking down and says, man, I want my son and daughter to have a victorious life. A life that I can look down and I can be pleased in. A life that I can look down and I can see my reflection in. A life that is pleasing, holy unto God, acceptable unto him. Can I hear an amen? Now, if we're talking about being pure, pure from what? Pure from sin. Pure from sin. Somebody say pure. Now, as we take a look at this sin, we got to right away, especially when you hear the word sin, right away you think of one person. This one person that brought sin into the world, and that person being Adam, right? We hear about this. Adam, the man who brought sin into the world. Now, the thing about it, as you begin to look at this life of this man, Adam, he didn't jump into bed with another woman that made sin. Matter of fact, he didn't go behind the tree and smoke a joint. That wasn't sin. He didn't go over there and squander everything that made him a sinner. He did one thing that allowed sin to come into the world. It was the disobedience to the law of God. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm not a really bad, bad, bad sinner. Look with me here. Now we're going to look and see what this purity is. I like the way one writer wrote. He said, this sin that Adam committed was so serious that it brought all creation into captivity and into bondage. See, I want to speak to you here this morning and let you know that you should not be deceived by our actions or the world's philosophies. See, Simply put, Adam's sin was disobedience. In church, we must not lack the core understanding of what sin really is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 reads it like this. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now some of you are saying, wow, that's a little bit more than I bargained for. I thought sin was just trying to get drunk all the time. I thought I stopped doing that. Therefore, I wasn't a sinner. No, my friend, sin is lawlessness. The word lawlessness in the Greek means anomia, which means the condition of being without law because of ignorance of it or because of violating it. Simply put, not to submit to the law or authority of God. In other words, it's a substitution of God's will for my will. Are you hearing me? It's a substitution saying, God, I, I know your will is great. I know your will is awesome. But I'd rather have my will for right now. Just my will be done. That's pretty much saying that's sin. Now, I know many of you here this morning are probably looking and saying, well, with the sin, well, what did I have to do with that? This is what really got me right here as I began to read this parable. Look at me in Luke chapter 14, and then we're going to be done right now. Luke chapter 14. This is a parable of the great banquet. Now, if you, as you read this portion of scripture here in Luke chapter 14, here it's Jesus telling a story about lawlessness to a prominent Pharisee's guest list. There were many people there. Matter of fact, the Bible says that there was experts in the law there. In other words, lawyers were there. There were lawyers in this house. Here's Jesus Talking lawlessness to lawyers. Jesus is crazy, huh? I like Jesus, man. Jesus is always tight. He's just, he's cool, man. 
Jesus is so cool. I like that about Jesus. Here's Jesus. He's over here. He's talking to lawyers. Next thing you know, he leaves the place and he starts talking with pimps and prostitutes. And then after he's done with the pimps and prostitutes, he goes to the children. He says, come to me. Come on. Jesus is tight. I want to be like Jesus. I want to talk to lawyers, and then I want to go talk to pimps. That's so cool right there. That really got me. Read the story of Jesus. I'm telling you, it will really blow your mind. It's really cool. Luke chapter 14, and we read here about how Jesus is taking advantage of the opportunity to talk to these men about their sin. Even though they felt like they weren't involved in it. Luke chapter 14, verse 15 says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Okay, stop right there really quick. Jesus just went out and said everything that you should be doing, right? Luke chapter 14. Go out and feed the poor. Help the hungry. Get those and, and do this and do that. And all of a sudden, one of the, the lawyers, he heard this. And he says, blessed is the man who eats at the king's table. That's a blessing. Am I wrong? So Jesus, I like Jesus, right? Like no matter what you try to come out with Jesus, Jesus, he's always ready with something. I don't know if you've ever had that within your life saying, okay, God, I got this ready to go. I got this ready to go. Hey, what about this? And Jesus comes. But I like the way Jesus works. He doesn't always give you an answer. He gives you a parable and tells you, okay, now think about it. Like, oh, man, this is crazy. Why don't you just give me the answer? Is this sin or is it not? And Jesus says, okay, hold on. Let me tell you a parable first. So here he says, okay. Jesus replied in verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Stop right there. A certain man. Now, as we read this parable, we learn that a certain man being representing the father, right? This uh, master, if you will. Represented the father. Then it, the Bible says that he called out to a servant, not servants, but a servant, sending his son to go out there and get those ready. He told them to now come and get it all ready. It's prepared. In other words, he invited those that were already prepared. This was set up, it was for the believers, not the unbelievers. This banquet was already prepared for those that believed. Are you hearing me this morning? In other words, they knew that they were invited. They knew that they had it ready for them. It was the church, not the unbelievers, but the believers. Now look with me here in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, is buying a field a sin? Is it a sin? No. Buy a piece of property. It's great. I think it's good. It's awesome. Maybe build a house. Build a church. I don't know what you want to do with that piece of land. Build a community center. He says, I have just bought a piece of land. Please excuse me. Now, right away, you think, okay, that's cool. That's fine. I would think that's all right. But see... As we begin to really look at this and really begin to see in this man who bought a field who didn't necessarily seemingly have the attitude of what he was doing is sin. But I want to let you know something. 
But when the interest in possessions becomes more important than the immediate submission to the word of God, it falls under the core definition of what sin really is. It's lawlessness. Lawlessness, in other words, not submitting to the authority of God. See, some of you here this morning, you're, I know you're not saying nothing because something's breaking in you right now. You say, oh, I didn't think of it like that. It's not submitting to the authority of God. Look at me here in verse 19. There's still a little bit more. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Isn't that so awesome? Look at that. Please. I'm being nice. I'm nice about it. Listen, my friend, you can be as nice as you want, but if it's sin, it's still sin. You can be the nicest person in this room. It still doesn't matter. Now, is buying the necessities for your livelihood and, and buying what you need for your life, is that sin? No, it's not, it's not sin. But when the business becomes more important or industry becomes more important than obeying the word of God or the will of God, it becomes into the definition of sin. Remember, Adam didn't, Adam didn't go off and squander his livelihood. That's not what Adam did. He simply didn't listen to the word of God. That's all it was. He just didn't listen to what God said. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, is getting married sin? <laughs> I hope not. Praise the Lord. My guys, is, is getting married a sin? We're all sinners, amen? No, getting married's not sin. Now, I know some of you may say, well, pff, you ain't married to her. She's a sinner right there. No, it's not sin. God has a holy covenant for the marriage. But is getting married sin? No. Buying a piece of land? No. Going out there and buying what you need for your livelihood? Sin? No, it's not sin. However, when you desire to please a mate more than submitting to the will of God, it's sin. When you desire to please man more than to please God, be careful. Some of you are not hearing me here this morning. Now some of you say, oh my gosh, look, look at here. This is some, something that you really got to grab a hold of here this morning. Adam, as you begin to look at his sin, as you begin to look at what happened within his life, this man in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Eve was deceived. It's crazy, huh? It wasn't Adam that was deceived. Eve was deceived. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, you'll read about how Adam wasn't deceived. But this referred to the nature of what he did. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For justice through the disobedience of the one man that many were made sinners. The disobedience with one man. Adam disobeyed. Are you hearing me this morning? Adam disobeyed because his wife had already eaten and she wanted him to do the same. He chose Excuse me. He chose her over the submission of God's word. And because of his disobedience, all were made sinners. God told him, don't do it, yet he still chose her over God's word. See, this morning, you got to be very, very careful with the choices that you make. Are they pleasing to God or are they pleasing to man? 
Are they pleasing to your flesh or are they pleasing to God? See, God is coming back for a church without spots or blemish. A pure heart, a pure body, a pure mind, a pure soul. That we live a life that is pure unto God. Can I hear an amen? See, this is something that as we see this parable, they begin to make excuses one by one. All because of their lack of submission unto God. Now, this is how important it was that Jesus, or excuse me, the, the master said to his servant. In verse 24, look with me there in, in Luke. It says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get the taste of my banquets. I don't know about you, but wow. Wow, wow, wow. When I read that, I stopped reading because I, 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 really, I stopped reading and I started praying. I said, God, I pray that I want to go to your banquet. That was my prayer. I said, God, please let me go to your banquet. I didn't even got to eat anything. I just want to go. Just get me in the door. I just, I, I just want in there. But that's how, that's how important God sees sin. He says, look, you can make all of these excuses you want, but I called you unto me. I want you to come to my banquet. I have a great life for you. I've got a victorious living for you. Okay, yeah, I, I know you do, but, you know, I just went and I just did some stuff. You know, can you just please excuse me for a little bit? Listen, you can be as polite as you want with the things that you do. You can be as nice as you want with the things that you do. You can be as happy as you want with the things that you do. But are the things that you do pleasing unto God or are they not? It's plain and simple as that. See, a lot of times we think that as long as I live a good life, therefore God will accept me. No, God loves you. Are you hearing me this morning? Do not, ex do not mistake God's love for God's pleasure. If you want to live a victorious life, then you've got to live a pleasing life. A life unto God. It says, God, I want to live a life that is pleasing unto you. I'm going to conclude right here. As you begin to read the scripture right there, even right before verse 24, the Bible says that the master told the servant, he says, go out into the highways and the byways and to the hedges and get all of those and bring them into my banquet. I like that right there. He says, go out and tell all of them, go get them, because they deserve to be here. Isn't that heavy that God would say that? That really got me as I began to read that. He says, go out there and get the sinners. Don't get me the ones that think they're righteous. Get me the ones that know they're unrighteous. Get me those ones. Get me those ones. Get me the pimps. Get me the prostitutes. Get me the prisoners. You know, as I begin to study this scripture, the Bible says that the master told the servant, go out there into the highways and to the hedges. You know what that word hedges means in the Greeks? It means an enclosed barrier. Some of you, you've been in enclosed barriers. Are you hearing me this morning? Do you know what an enclosed barrier is? Prison. Some of you are about to catch this right now. He says, go out there and get those ones because those are the ones that I want. See, the Bible says that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all men. 
And when the spirit comes, oh my gosh, something supernatural is going to happen. He says, go out there and get those ones. Get those ones that were in closed barriers. Get those ones that were down and out. Get those ones that were messed up. Those are the ones that I want to eat. Not the righteous ones that think they were all good. Not the ones that, that they had it all together. Not the ones that are over there buying pieces of lands and getting married and doing all that stuff and thinking that was better than my banquets. Not those ones. Now listen, you buy a piece of land, that's great. You get married, that's great. You go out there and you buy everything for your livelihood, that's great. But the moment that becomes more important than the things of God, you got to be careful. Somebody might just come in and take your place. Living a life that is pleasing unto God. AJ can come to the piano right now. Living a life that is pleasing unto God. Listen, my prayer is that this church... That this church would never, ever, ever feel more righteous than the will of God. I've got it all together. I, I have a suit now. I'm, I'm good now. Everything is great now. Everything's awesome. I'm okay. If you ever come into a point of your, in your life that you're just okay, be careful. Be very careful. See, if you and I are going to really live a victorious life, then we got to live a life that says, you know what, God? Not my will, but your will. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be a woman. I don't want to be a husband, be a wife that pleases men. Listen, some of you here this morning, the reason why you're so burdened when you walk into the doors is because you're so busy doing duties of pleasing men. I need, I need to please her. I need to please him. I, I got to do this. I got to do that. I gotta, and, and then you're so stressed out over pleasing men. I want to make sure I look good with my boss. I want to make sure. Listen, I, I pray that you have efficiency in your job. I pray that you do that. Because if you have the light of Christ, you are a representation. You're an ambassador of God. Then the life that you live will show itself strong. Will show itself but you don't do it to please men. If you're doing your job and your job alone, then, then I want to tell you something. What can happen is your job will become more important than the things of God. Now you may say, well, God gave me this job. Yes, he gave it to you because he loves you. Are you hearing me? He gave it to you because he loves you. That's just, that's just it. It's just the kind of guy that kind of person, kind of being that God is. I love you. Here you go. I love you. This, 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 you don't have to do anything. Here you go. Here you go, Sal. Here's a van. You can have it. It's yours. Here you go. Here's some children. Here's a husband. Here's a wife. He, he's yours. She's yours. You can have them. But don't live a life that is pleasing to them more than me. I love my wife. I love her. I love my children. I love my family. But there is one thing that they know without a shadow of a doubt. I live my life to please him. And because I want to please him, I will love her. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. There is no way. Listen, there's some of you here that you're involved within a marriage and maybe your husband's not married. Don't live a life, or excuse me, your husband is not saved. Don't live a life 
that you're always wanting to please him. Live a life that you want to please him. Because if not, that man, he will stress you out. I'm saved and I stress my wife out. I can't imagine, I, I really can't imagine for those of you wives that your husband is, is not saved. I know how difficult it is. I've seen uh, many a marriages within the church and it's real difficult and you're like, I want to come to church, I want to come to church, but it's just so hard. Listen, live a life that is pleasing to God. You're going to learn and see what a victorious life really is. Don't live a life that you're always wanting to please your children. Listen, your children are there so that you can find pleasure in God. I know you love your children, but love, please God. And because you please God, you will be a good steward of your children. The job that you got, don't let that job overwhelm you so much that you're never able to live a life that is pleasing unto God. God is coming back for a church without spot or blemish. Without spot. Do your best to live a life, says God. If I've offended you in any way, if I have bitterness, unforgiveness in my heart, God, take it out. I don't want to live a life that is unpleasing to you. I don't want to harbor this thing. I don't want to harbor this unforgiveness, God. I don't want to harbor this, this strife. I don't want to harbor these things, Lord God, against my brother, God. I don't want to harbor this. I want to live a life that is pleasing unto you. A pure church, pure in heart, pure in mind, pure in body, pure in soul. Listen, my friend, when it comes to purity and when it comes to what God has for our lives, I pray, listen to me here this morning, look this way. I pray that you would live a life that is so pure, that you would live a life that is so pleasing unto God, that when others see your life, they say, man, I want to be just like her. I want to be just like him. See, a lot of people look at the outside, man, if I had her money, if I had his money, if I had her car, if I had her house. Listen, my friend, those aren't examples that you want to have. You want to have examples say, man, I don't know what it is, but when people offend this guy, he's not offended. I want to live a life like him. When people do wrong to this guy, when people do wrong to this girl, she's not offended. I want to live a life like her. Listen, I pray here this morning that we would have a church that is pleasing unto God. That as we look at our lives here this morning, as we examine our lives, we would say, God, I want to live a life that is pleasing, holy, and acceptable unto you here this morning. Are you with me here this morning? Are you hearing me here this morning? Do you believe that here this morning? Give the Lord a hand of praise. Stand with me here this morning. Come on, stand with me here this morning. Hallelujah. Bow your heads and lift your hands here this morning. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord.